0: Some female gamers that I've spoken to in the past um, for our reporting, um, they told us that they often um, face verbal harassment for male players um, that they've met online. So for example, um, once the male players discovered that they were playing with a female gamer, they would st- really start um, asking inappropriate questions like uh, "What is your bra size?" or you know whether they are playing games because they aren't pretty enough to find a boyfriend.
1: Welcome to Tong, Tracing the Trend, a podcast exploring the origins of cultural phenomena in China, from niche to mainstream, from past to present. Episode 1. Hello and welcome. Today we're diving into the topic of China's internet cafes and the rise of esports. I'm Jenny Zhang and joining me today is my co-host Stefan Harvey Hello. and our guest Karen Chu. Karen is a technology journalist at the South China Morning Post, regularly covering social media, internet culture, games and everyday experiences of netizens in China. Welcome Karen, we're so excited to have you with us today.
0: Thank you, happy to be here.
1: In our first podcast, we're going to be having a conversation around subjects most people are familiar with, but perhaps in their own context and through their own experiences. The purpose of our podcast is to create a forum for learning, exchange, discussion and open questions to put to you, the listener. At Tong, we've been particularly fascinated recently with China's ascent of esports on the world stage. China is the largest esports market in the world, with revenue expected to have hit $385 million by the end of 2020. So, the Chinese government has historically been suspicious of video games and it's not always been something that's been celebrated or supported.
2: Absolutely not. Um, Particularly the government's been concerned about games' impact on young people's well-being and their education. Uh, the government increasingly acknowledges the economic benefits and also national pride that comes with the backing of the development of esports to such a degree that it now probably provides more state support for the industry than any other government in the world. But this hasn't always been the case.
1: Today, we want to look back at the subcultures and spaces in which grassroots Chinese esports developed, namely internet cafes, or known as Wanba in China. We're going to look at how they have developed up to present day, why they appealed and continue to appeal to certain members of Chinese society, and also perceptions and policies centred around internet cafes. Let's start at the beginning, looking at the past. Back in the mid-90s, internet cafes were beginning to emerge all over the world, as computers and internet access were still only available at a relatively high price point. We should bear in mind how much of a valuable resource Internet cafes would have been in China, in particular at the turn of the millennium. It very much was, and people often overlook the fact that China then was a developing country.
0: Right. So Jenny was absolutely right. China's first internet cafes, they actually arrived in the mid-90s, So, which was um, around the time when the internet really arrived in the country. And it was a time when every family was aspiring to have their own computers. But it was also a very different time from now, right? We have to remember that even by 1999, an average person who lived in a Chinese city, they, uh, they're earning less than 6,000 yuan a year. So that's less than 80 US dollars a month. So for a lot of um, families, computers were really a middle class aspiration, but not everyone could afford one. And then for anyone who wanted to have a taste of the internet, the internet cafes were really the next best thing to you know, um, actually owning your own computer. So a lot of these people who went to internet cafes at first, they were just, you know, young people who or students who were really curious about, you know, just trying out this new thing. That that's arrived in the country, but then you know gradually you're getting more of other people who are um, who are gamers who like playing games, and they are these people who cannot afford a, a computer at home, and they are you know coming from a um, less economically advantaged background. So this is really their place to you know try their hands on computers on the internet um, and on games and this has really developed into a community you know it's just a group of people who have the same interests in, in new technology and in games.
2: And just to follow on from that um, there is or was also um, a stereotype of sometimes particularly disadvantaged people who weren't necessarily in internet cafes um, for the main purpose of gaming quite often Um, migrant workers or just the most economically disadvantaged people in major cities would go there obviously for internet access but maybe also for accommodation purposes if they couldn't find anywhere else to stay that night and combined with uh, young people who may perhaps found them Cells to be outcasts in society, and found a bit of solace um, in circles of gamers. Also, um, migrant workers and other economically disadvantaged people played into something of uh, perhaps quite a negative stereotype that develops around internet cafes.
1: It's so fascinating to hear from both of you because I think there is definitely a truth in kind of the archetypes that people associated with going to internet cafes, you know, young people, gamers, migrants.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I read an interview on a WeChat article with a a Beijing internet cafe owner that was written post lockdown in the spring in China, where they've obviously come out of lockdown a bit sooner than a lot of uh, Western societies. And this guy uh, reminisced about the early years of gaming tournaments um, in the early to mid 2000s. The main game they played was a Crossfire, and they would play with a team of gamers recruited from all over his province, which was Liaoning in the northeast. And he'd think about how there was such a strong nostalgia for a period in which there was no prize money or mainstream acknowledgement like there is today for winning a gaming tournament. It was merely about the respect within the community and an affirmation of the teamwork involved. And I think this uh, solidarity within esports community is something that's, that's persisted throughout um, the history of internet cafes, and, and, and something we'll get back to. But I just wondered if Karen could tell us a bit more about the communities that um, have done and continue to develop in internet cafes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's very interesting because, as you said, China's economy has has improved a lot, and a lot of people are who are still going to these internet cafes they aren't necessarily going there because of economic necessity they might actually already have their own computers at home so they don't actually have to go to internet cafes to play games but they still go there you know just for the sense of um, solidarity the atmosphere the um, camaraderie so i remember i was reading one Question on this um, website called Zhihu in China. It's basically a sort of q and website in China. So one person, they asked this question, why do people still go to internet cafes these days, right? Her answer was, you know, how is playing by yourself at home as comfortable as playing in an internet cafe with a bunch of friends? So that really illustrates, you know, the, the reason why people go to internet cafes. It's because you just want to be you know um, a group of people who share the same interests as you do and just for you know the sense of being part of a bigger community
2: sure completely um and i think uh, the development of these uh circles and, and the camaraderie that existed within there developed kind of in tandem with a decreased need for internet cafes among middle classes so they began to attract more hardcore gamers Um, and also, as we've said before, acted as a place of respite for poor migrant workers who may not have had accommodation or at least access to the internet. Um, Now, interestingly, for the best part of the 2000s, and for a long time after, technically, uh, young people were not meant to attend Wangba or internet cafes. Uh, I believe there was quite a defining moment uh, that contributed to this ban.
0: Yeah, so there was this very pivotal moment that really changed the um, public's perception of internet cafes. So um, back in 2002, um, um, there were two teenagers who um, set fire to an internet cafe in Beijing. Um, 25 people died in the process. And most of them were students. So it was this huge incident that shocked the whole nation, especially parents. And since then, there has been this um, lingering perception in China that um, internet cafes are sort of these um, modern opium dens for juvenile delinquents, you know, young people who have nothing better to do than to play video games and make troubles. And after this happened, the government really started to um, crack down on illegal internet cafes, internet cafes who um, um, didn't run on a license. So uh, we saw hundreds of thousands of cafes being shut down. And the government kind of realized that they had to start regulating this industry. So they introduced a couple of new rules. So um, for example, until today, you can't um, have internet cafes that are too close to schools. And also internet cafes can't operate past midnight. So they have to shut down between uh, midnight until eight in the morning so um, yeah for a few years the government basically stopped giving out new permits for individual internet cafes so that means only chains could get new permits that has changed since then in the past few years the in uh, the um, independent internet cafes can now start getting new permits too but then a lot of people really saw those few years as a huge blow to the industry
1: One thing I wanted to pick up just on Karen's point was also just really how much of a dedicated strategy it was if you think about internet cafes, they, I believe that, you know, over 90% in the country are independent. So they aren't really, you know, dominated by chains, or certain companies and corporations. So for me, I think it just signals really how, how strong will the government was in terms of clamping down and regulating and kind of monitoring the situation. One of the things that we discussed as well, which I found fascinating, and I wanted to raise was just around Internet cafes, um, in terms of what they represent as spaces, there is a certain notion within uh, sociology that talks about the third space. I, I believe it was, it was derived from the sociologist Ray Oldenburg, uh, and this third space is really kind of a, a an additional space to what would be the, the first space and the second space. So, what would be the private space and the public space. And third spaces is quite an interesting concept to think about and apply to the internet cafes, the one bar, just because it does essentially sit in that idea of blurring the public and private distinction, particularly when we look at China versus other places outside of China. Public space, from my understanding, and urban planning is not the same but there is no certain like for likes and particularly where spaces if you can congregate are not as uh, rife as it is um,
2: outside of China. Yeah um, so Karen I was wondering if you knew anything about internet cafes as gendered spaces mm-hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's absolutely a sort of gender segregation that goes on with internet cafes. So um, if you look at the figures between the year 2000 and 2019, around um, 70 to 80% of internet cafes users in China, they were actually men. So internet cafes have really been these traditionally male-dominated male-dominated spaces and that hasn't really changed over the past 10 years and I think that's especially interesting um, because if you look at the um, gender ratio of gamers in China you know not just people who visit internet cafes but everyone who plays video games you'll see that around half of China's gamers are actually female so that suggests that um, female gamers for some reason they are playing games but they are repulsed by the uh, by the idea of going to internet cafes. Um, and there can be a lot of explanations for that. Um, some experts, they've suggested that it's possible that um, perhaps women, they respond less positively to noisy or rowdy environments, like how it can get in internet cafes sometimes. And they think that women perhaps are more likely to enjoy gaming in the comfort of their homes, but... Also, I think one of the biggest reasons is that some um, some female gamers that I've spoken to in the past um, for our reporting, um, they told us that they often um, face verbal harassment from male players um, that they've met online. So. For example, um, once the male players discovered that they were playing with a female gamer, they would st- really start um, asking inappropriate questions like, uh, What is your bra size? or, You know, whether they are playing games because they aren't pretty enough to find a boyfriend, like questions like that. So I suspect that, at least for some women, the idea of playing together with male players in an internet cafe isn't exactly that enticing and doesn't really feel that safe to them.
1: Now, let's take it to current day, looking at the present. Internet cafes, one bar, ebbed in popularity in the early 2010s, Broadband access was more widespread. State resistance and negative press had also put one bar in a bad light. Internet cafes were even branded as digital heroin, while police were commissioned to go and give talks to young people, warning them of the dangers of one bar. In the middle of the decade, however, they saw a resurgence in popularity. So, esports became more and more mainstream in the last 10 years. Later in the 2010s, it became an era in which gaming was a legitimate career aspiration, much like being a star footballer or basketball player.
0: Yeah, so there's absolutely an interesting gender element in uh, esports as well. So we see that overall, um, three in 10 esports fans in China are actually women, which, you know, might seem like a pretty low number. But then if you compare it with the global average, the um, proportion of female esports watches uh, in China are actually still far higher than most other places, um, with the exception of South Korea, which has an even higher percentage. And also um, women in China, and seem to be more receptive to the idea of um, esport tournaments that feature mobile games, um, which are games that are played on smartphones or tablets. So, the data we looked at um, last year suggested that women in China are actually more likely than men to follow mobile games that are played as esports. And what really stood out to me was that at one point, um, Tencent, they even said that um, Honor of Kings, uh, which is their flagship mobile game that plays sort of like a smartphone version of League of Legends, they said that the game actually had slightly more uh, female players than male players. So I guess even though we're seeing some persistent sexism among Chinese, Chinese gamers, we um, can also see that there are actually a sizable number of women who are interested in mobile games and esports.
2: Um, and I think to follow on from that um, regarding making spaces around esports more accessible to women, uh, we'd like to look a bit more at how the face of what we've been calling Wangba, um, internet cafes, has been changing and how um, there's actually become something of a rift between what we've traditionally called Wang Pa, um, and a new term and a new face of internet cafes, which is often referred to as Wang Ka. Um, wang Ka is definitely a Taiwanese import. It's a word that's been used on the island um, since the birth of internet cafes. Um, and just to explain a bit of the language, Wang Pa more directly means internet bar. Wang Ka means more directly internet cafe, with car coming from the word for coffee, actual coffee shop, cafe kwan. Um in recent years, this new term, "one car" has, has come to denote more upmarket internet cafes, uh, perhaps with more elaborate services. You know, they might be putting oat milk in your coffees for you instead of just um, serving you uh, biscuits and soft drinks. Now, given that this word comes from Taiwan, it may or may not be a coincidence that the Taiwanese pop star, J. Joe, has launched his own chain of almost luxury internet cafes across the mainland. And this has contributed to a readjustment of perceptions towards internet cafes as perhaps more consumer friendly or at least gentrified consumer focused spaces that have adopted the new name of one car. Obviously it's not just celebrity owned chains, but there are quite a few chains that are popping up across the country
0: yeah, so one great example is this internet cafe chain in China that's called uh, Wang Yu Wang um, they There's sort of this new face of internet cafes um, that you mentioned, right? So more than just running a gaming arcade, they are basically trying to build a brand for gamers. So um, if you walk into some of their cafes, whether it's in Beijing or Shanghai, they actually look more like regular cafes that, than, than a gaming arcade. So they are, very bright and clean nothing like the smoky dark internet cafes of the past and of course they also offer um, like you said a variety of drinks you can order coffee juice or even bubble tea and they also have a variety of branded merchandise so say you can buy your own um, while you won't mug or you can um, buy a shark plush toy, which is their logo. So I think this is like a perfect example of this new breed of internet cafes that is really trying to shed that old image and trying to be this, um, you know, hip new place for young people, and that will hopefully also be more acceptable to um, parents or government authorities, or I guess the society in general. <laughs>
1: I saw some pictures actually of J. Joe's um, flagship uh, internet cafe in Shenzhen and I was really astonished around how future looking it was. It was very swanky, bright lights and particularly how much it really did cater for that hardcore gamer. The, you know, the chairs, the equipment, the setup really felt a huge departure from what I was used to seeing in China, the one bar where it felt a little bit dirty, it felt a little bit raw around the edges. And I really feel like perhaps potentially from a consumer perspective, you know, is there something to be lost there in terms of the um, the rough around the edges approach that, that the old one bar brought?
2: Yeah, um, perhaps. Um, and it's interesting, um, Karen, that you brought up uh, a entry on the platform Shuhu earlier, which like you said is a Q&A platform, kind of like the Quora or Reddit of China because I myself um, searched something slightly similar asking about the distinction between these terms, Wang Ba and Wang Ka and there was a dedicated page to that And of course, um, these are just anecdotal inputs from everyday internet users. But the spread of opinions about these two ideas and what an internet cafe ultimately is, I think goes some way to explaining the spectrum of opinions about internet cafes and also the sympathies or disgust aimed at the good (laughs) old Wang Bar. Um, So just a few comments were, I think a lot of people were quite rigid in their distinction between the two Um, so one woman said how oh a wang car is a nice place where you can get hot drinks and and tea and and pastries and things like that and it's a cleaner safer environment meanwhile um a wang bar and she did use this actual phrase was full of hoodlums (laughs) and, and beggars asking you for money and so on um, and, and maybe that woman wasn't making much of a distinction between changes over time, um, but you know, not everybody on these platforms are going to be um, particularly critically minded um, about what they're saying, and, and they'll come with their own prejudices and sympathies. Um, and on that note, I think a lot of other people who are commenting did have sympathies um, and painted Wang Bar in slightly more favourable lights. Um, so it's interesting to see that um, range of opinions that exist around them.
1: Again, if we're trying to um, find some similarities and parallels with, let's say, the corner shop in the UK or the neighborhood bodega in the US, you know, the, there is a just a big difference, right, between, you know, the service you get, the the interior, the people. Um, but I think ultimately there definitely is a charm. Um, I think from a personal perspective, I think there's a charm that can't be captured when things become too clinical or too clean so um, yeah I'll be interested to see more of the one car when I when I go to China
2: yeah um, and I think they're also while they're a changing face of internet cafes I think we're also seeing a change in government attitudes and policy gaming and esports as a whole maybe not one car getting particularly favourable treatment um, from the government even to this day. I was wondering, Karen, if you could tell us a bit more about how the government has treated internet cafes in terms of policy over public gathering during and after COVID.
0: Sure. So a lot of these businesses, um, they were hit hard by the pandemic, obviously. But then, you know, they they are also places of entret- entertainment and they um, really drew particular scrutiny from authorities and I guess part of it was to be fair to you know authorities it's because these places are indoors right so ventilation is a huge concern but then adding to that there were initially a lot of um, flip-flops on whether internet cafes could reopen so at first um, they were told that they could reopen and then in some cities authorities were like oh actually no we'll have to wait on this so there was a lot of initial confusion about uh, you know which cafes are allowed to operate and which aren't and a lot of internet cafes um, had to close for months um, because of this and they simply didn't survive the pandemic so in just the first half of this year uh, we saw a net decrease of nearly 5000 internet cafes in china and then you know, um, this was just, you know, this was just—you know—this wasn't just happening during the pandemic, right? So even before the pandemic, things weren't even that great for internet cafes, and the number of internet cafes in China has actually been falling ever since 2016. And part of that goes back to, you know, the um, control of licenses that are being given out by the government. I think, I think that's part of it, but also. For the business in general, it's just getting more and more expensive to run an internet cafe. And you know, games they're getting more sophisticated than ever. So in order to keep up the ca- the cafes, they uh, need to constantly upgrade their equipment, which uh, really adds to the cost. And then of course, um, rents have also been rising in a lot of cities. So people were already seeing a lot of internet cafes close down even back then before the pandemic struck.
1: One question that would raise um, after we have established the inextricable link between internet cafes giving rise to esports and creating a community for esports and potentially a hotbed of talent, you know, we've seen um, rising stars such as Huan Fen, who is um, you know, one of the key players in League of Legends, and also one that many people across the world have been watching um due to his such fascinating story of being picked up by a Wamba, an internet cafe owner who then supported him and supported him through his first ad carry and i find that you know with the question of covid and with the rising costs as karen has mentioned does that mean that potentially that esports is in jeopardy and if so what does that mean for something that it feels like the chinese government has been trying to um embrace and support more on
2: um, one interesting kind of like niche within this government approach that I wanted to touch upon uh, was the recent emergence of kids um, LAN summer camps of basically offline gaming. Um, it seems that the government has perhaps realised the, the sort of economic benefits and national pride that might come with esports sports um, and need to backtrack on some of their criticisms of gaming over the past few decades, um, but at the same time want to kind of justify criticisms that they may have had in the past. Um, So nobody can be sure of this. Perhaps one reason why they're promoting these offline gaming tournaments and camps um, is to say that internet gaming is the problem and not actually gaming. Um, But it shows that the government acknowledges uh, the the benefits um, of this industry. And it's also just something that um, Chinese society has a real grassroots culture in, which is why we chose to speak about internet cafes in the first place.
1: It seems so fascinating, the different drivers and pulls, and um, trying to navigate essentially a a complex ecosystem where there is certain areas of support, but then there's also certain restrictions imposed or there's certain challenges that are facing both esports and um, internet bars from a demand and a supply side. So very fascinating. Bring things forward to 2020. I think the biggest thing that's impacted, you know, everybody, not just internet cafes and esports, is really just the reality that you know the pandemic and COVID-19 has put everything in flux. Countries all over the world have experienced lockdown, which in turn has infected these public slash private or third spaces, as we have discussed. You know, one bar, the internet cafe is no exception. But it throws into the question of what the future is for this sector, um, and more importantly, how esports can continue on a positive trajectory.
0: Yeah, so I think the um, the pandemic it really accelerated the kind of decline um, for some kind of internet cafes, the the kind that wasn't able to um, persist um, during the pandemic, and also the ones who were unable to evolve. Right, and they they. And really, I have to stress that even before the pandemic, they they were already facing a lot of um, challenges, Um, the rents, more expensive equipment, and also really the um, culture as a whole, right? Um, China as a whole has improved a lot economically since those um, early days in the 90s. So home broadband is getting faster, more stable, more people have their own computers. And an average family can now usually afford their own smartphones, and that has really become the primary way for people to access the internet. And there are also a lot more gaming options for kids these days, right? So mobile games like Honor of Kings are what everyone plays. And then for the more well-off gamers, consoles are also starting to gain traction. Um, so for example, the Nintendo Switch, it finally arrived in China a year ago. So you've got all these different gaming options, and then... In Internet cafes just kind of, you know, went from this um, hip new place two decades ago to what it is today, right? An old form of business that is um, struggling to survive and looking for new ways to evolve. But then I guess like um, going to the future of internet cafes, right? I think that's that's kind of the question that everyone in the industry is grappling with, right? I think everyone in, in the internet cafe industry is looking for ways to evolve beyond just the traditional model and I guess going back to the example, uh, Wang Wangyuanca, the internet cafe chain that I mentioned earlier, they 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 are a good example of um, internet cafes that are really trying to um, trying to evolve. And what they're doing is they are trying to latch on to um, the trend of esports. So you can, for instance, uh, watch live League of Legends tournaments in their cafes, and they also hold esports competitions for amateurs in various cities across the country. And they've also tried to develop other surfaces as well on top of, you know, just the basics of of an internet cafe. Um, One of their biggest offshoots is an online platform that offers coaching for gamers to um, help them get better at their game. So they're kind of like tutors um, for gaming. So um, users, they can pay for these one-on-one training sessions and sometimes even with professional esports players so that they can get tips and advice on how to play better. So i think this is just you know one example illustrating how bigger players in the in the industry are trying to evolve but also you know for the smaller independent internet cafes they're also looking for ways to diversify their business so a lot of them they're trying to target more than just gamers because you know they know that you know, like just by targeting gamers, they won't be able to survive. So some of them, especially the smaller, um, the mom and pop shops, they are um, offering uh, neighborhood services. So some of them, they're pretty creative, actually. So... um, I saw that some of them, they're, um, for instance, providing an address for residents who live nearby to receive packages while they're away from home so that, you know, like the um, delivery person can drop the packages at the shops and then they can, um, these um, people can come and pick up their packages later without them staying at home. And, you know, some other are just offering more regular things like copying and printing surfaces and, you know, even manicure and pedicure. So, um Yeah, so they're just, I think all of them, everyone in the industry are just, you know, brainstorming, thinking about new ways to take the industry forward into the future.
1: Wow, these integrated spaces. I mean, I'm calling it integrated just because I've never, ever encountered an internet bar that offered manicures and pedicures. Um, So fascinating. You know, I think one thing maybe fundamentally I wanted to raise is, are we, just essentially trying to retain that sense of community, right? As COVID has put so many activities into the private space or the online space, at least in China for a a moment there, you know, it is the root of it that really we're trying to find a space that does build community and conversation and connectivity. Internet cafes aside, what is the future of esports? You know, has 2020 proved that esports can thrive without the elements that One Bar provides?
2: Um, quite possibly and actually Karen I just kind of wanted to put this conclusion that I've come to myself to you and see to what extent you agree Um, I think that perhaps over the past 20 years um, we've seen esports develop out of a grassroots culture in internet cafes um, but now due to social changes technological changes and also the, the impact of COVID making these changes faster perhaps we're seeing an internet cafe industry that's flipped on its head and become dependent on esports instead?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And really, esports have become this next big thing that young people are really interested in. And when you're talking about, you know, um, how esports have have thrived during um, the coronavirus pandemic, I think it's especially encouraging for the industry um, to see that China was one of the, actually, I think the first place in the world to reopen um, live tournaments with a live audience um, in esports. And that really, I think, shows how The country is being serious about, you know, focusing on esports and making this actually a legitimate industry that the government will allow to thrive. And I think that really um, shows that the industry is going to have a bright future in this country.
2: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your insights, Karen.
1: Thank you. I think that takes us to the close of our podcast. So I would like to once again say thank you to Karen, um, who has a beautiful audio tone. And and thank you to Stefan as well um, for being my co-host. Thank you for listening to Tong's Tracing the Trend. We are a collective of cross-cultural experts championing for a more connected and informed global society. For more information, head over to our website, tongdigital.com. Want to submit a topic for discussion? DM us on Instagram at Tong Global. That's at T O N G Global to have your voice heard.